0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today is another installment of Competitive Enablement Live. And we talked about how you can bring your win-loss analysis into your Compete Program. Clues Competitive Enablement Manager, Brandon, to you've likely heard of and has been on the show many times he he took over the reins as host today and he was joined by community brand senior director of product marketing tira Schweitzer, and paul Senatori, a competitive intelligence pro who's had stops at lyft salesforce hubspot and more the trio dove right into everything from how many interviews you should conduct the pros and cons of working with a third-party vendor carving out budget for a win-loss program and how you really launch win-loss alongside compete and how they flow into one another. Special thank you to everyone who participated and came on camera to ask their questions and give their own feedback as well. That's what makes CE Live special seeing the compete community come together and just share ideas, share what they're going through. We're all trying to figure this out and it's my favorite day of the month, every month. In fact, we actually had so many questions that we ran over the top of the hour, couldn't get to all of them. So we'll bring Tira and Paul back for a mailbag episode so we can answer all of those questions. These events are always such a blast. We really appreciate you showing up and participating. And with that all said, let's get into today's episode.
1: And so, yeah, maybe I'll pass it off to uh, Tira Switzer first as our, our first guest.
2: Hi, I'm Tira, and I am the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Community Brands, and uh, win, loss, and compete is just a piece of what we do, Um, so super excited for today's conversation. You know, years ago, we did a little bit of competitive enablement, you know, we did that like internal word battle card compete program that, you know, really started feature functionality, and has completely evolved. We started doing DYI win-loss program years ago, um, and then two years ago we launched uh, our third-party win-loss program and our uh, competitive enablement program, including Clue. Um, so super excited to for today's conversation.
1: Awesome, thanks, Tara. Um, and how about you, Paul? And this is uh, Paul Santori, everyone.
3: Yeah. Hi, my name is Paul. I'm actually took a a new position at a company called WalkMe. So I was at HubSpot prior to WalkMe. And uh, my win-loss experience goes back a number of vendors, Um, probably cut my teeth on win-loss at Oracle uh, in the enterprise software space, had a very interesting turn at Lyft competing against Uber, where our win-loss was actually done through drivers in cars, um, talking to riders, so it was a very different experience on win-loss, being in a vehicle, getting that information from drivers. Of course, hopefully they were looking along the road. Um, and then most recently um, at HubSpot, and looking forward to launching a win-loss program at WalkMe, given, given the space they're in and how crowded, competitive we are in the enterprise software side.
1: Awesome. Well, great. Thanks for uh, the intros, everyone. And I, I think you've already touched on a little bit of your win-loss background there. So maybe I'll, I'm going to dive right in and make sure this is uh, we can get to the most questions here and, of course, have the, the audience participate as well. So maybe I'll start with you, Tira. I know you kind of alluded to that there in your intro, that you um, had some ad hoc win-loss and compete here and there, but you really relaunched your kind of official win-loss program and compete program at the same time. Uh, what was that process like, and um, how did you and the team kind of come to that uh, decision?
2: Uh, So, you know, we weren't trying to do both of them at the same time. It just kind of just happened. Uh, So we were really trying to, you know, get budget and start with win-loss. And it really just led to the team being like, well, let's invest in competitive enablement too. And um, so we were like, all right, let's do it. Um, So for us, it was really exciting to have both of those investments at the same time. Um, and at the time, it didn't feel like this really huge undertaking. Um, but now, like, uh, talking about it, it sounds really like it would be a really big lift. Um, but it actually went really well together. Um, you know, we kind of launched both programs at the same time. So as we were, you know, like building out our battle cards, we were also kind of starting the win-loss interviews um, and we, you know, we really just doing a test of win-loss interviews. Um, and we involved, we had sales involved in both processes. And so, you know, they were helping us uh, build out battle cards even more. They were uh, part of the uh, interview guide and, you know, working with our third party in, uh, in building out the win-loss program. Um, So then, you know, we had this immediate buy-in from sales because they were really involved in the entire process. Um, So then by the time we, you know, rolled out Clue and our battle cards uh, to uh, the whole sales team, we had kind of our first round of interviews completed. Um, So then after the interviews, we were able to You know, take that information and build out our battle cards even more robust um, and included quotes from win loss. Um, And so it was really just natural and it was, Mm. it worked out perfectly that we rolled them out at the same time. Uh, I don't know if that will ever happen again, uh, but it was, uh, it was super fun. And I think doing them both at the same time uh, and involving sales really led to you know, them being successful and people really being excited about both programs.
1: Awesome. And so you kind of hit on my, my next question. I was thinking about is, you know, if, if you were to do it again, it sounds like there were benefits to kind of the, them complementing each other. Um, obviously there was a lot of work that went into that, but if you were to go back in time or if you were to do this again, would you uh, aim to launch both programs at the same time? Or what have you kind of learned through that, that process?
2: Um, I think I really would do them again at the same time. I th- It just really led to buy-in. I think anytime you uh, bring up win-loss interviews, um, sometimes sales, a lot of times sales is kind of like, I don't know, like it's like, oh, we do everything great, like I don't want to hear anything. Um, But because we involved them in, you know, the interview guide, and um, you know, that just really helped that buy-in to where they. They weren't opposed to it, but they weren't excited about it either. So then when you kind of launched the competitive enablement program and we launched our battle cards and it was like, oh, look, here's all this great information. And now we just got all this other great information over here. And it came out with some really great. I mean, there was no crying, but um, there might have been. I don't think so. But um You got all this great information from win-loss interviews, too. Um, It just tied in so well together. And um, I don't know if we would have gotten that much buy-in and excitement um, by doing just one or the other first.
1: Right. I, I love that. That buy-in piece, and it's something we hear from a lot of programs that whether it's win loss or compete, it's getting the buy-in early. Um, and so I do want to continue the thread there, but I, I want to jump over to Paul. Um, you know, Paul, obviously you've had experience building win loss programs, very different kinds of win loss programs. It sounds like across uh, different companies. Um, curious. I mean, firstly, just to think about where win loss kind of sat within the organization uh, was that all was that always owned by the same group? Like, how have you kind of what have you noticed in terms of a, a trend there across the, the various companies you've been at? Uh, one,
3: one consistent trend that I've seen um, is that a lot of the win-loss programs that I've been involved in were kind of a, it, it was a natural jump off from postmortems on sales calls. So the sales leadership would, if they were really disciplined, they would be having maybe a monthly uh, post-mortem. They'd select, you know, half a dozen sales reps to walk through their win. Occasionally they'd walk through their losses. Um, and they go through some detail and I would get invited or I'd invite myself in on the call because it was a great place to pick up some win loss data. They were doing the, the, the post-mortem, uh, but it was clearly a seller's perspective on the reason we wanted the reason we lost. Also, um, the sales leadership was a little skeptical of, you know, was this really the reason we lost was, and it was all episodic. The only reason they would have them is because something was going south in the, in the channel. Um, in the pipeline. So they wanted to be more systematic about it. They wanted to ask the same questions. They wanted to address different topical issues that were kind of in the market at that time. We rolled out a new product, a new product campaign. Maybe they were jiggering the, jigging the pricing around a little bit and they wanted to see, was that influencing the win-loss and how that was that kind of taking place in the deals? That's one of the consistent places. I've always seen it come out of sales leadership for some reason. I never kind of had marketing kind of push for... Post deal interviews, they're very interested in the results, but most of it came from leadership.
1: Interesting. Okay, so I definitely want to double click in there, and just for anyone that's just joined us, I imagine you know they've you know some some people may have taken a second to get into gradual. Just another reminder: uh, if you aren't able to chat, feel what you have to do is fill out your profile, then you're able to chat. And please do uh, throw in all of your questions. We will have ample time for uh, uh, for live QA uh, as well. Um, But that's really interesting, though, Paul, that a couple of things I I heard there. Uh, One is around buy-in, and especially even Tira, you touched on this, where like sales sometimes might be a little bit hesitant or protective of deals. Um, But at the same time, getting the buy-in from leadership, it sounds like, Paul, was really important. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that worked when, you know, kind of sales leadership sounds like they owned it or pushed for it, um, but there might have been a little bit of resistance um, and kind of what that resulted in?
3: Well, sales leadership has the ultimate call. They're going to make the call and uh, the AEs yeah. and pre-sales are going to get in line. Um, but they probably they came into the conversation on win-loss with a number of customers they, always, they already wanted us to call in on um, because they were just curious. If this, repeats us, if this loss repeats itself over and over again, we're in serious revenue trouble. So go in and diagnose, diagnose this problem right away. We yeah. always work through the reps to get to the customer. To get cooperation right. for the interview. That way, we got buy in at a grassroots level with the sales organization. They felt, you know, we're doing this for your best interest. Plus, we fed that data right back to them. Um, we just didn't give it to leadership. And of course, we sanitized the reports a little bit. So if there was some feedback from customers that pertained to sales rep engagement, right. Practices, we'd kind of polish that up a little bit. We'd make sure we gave the the truth to the uh, the clarity and the transparency to the leadership, but we'd kind of keep it a little out of the 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 the, the fray with the with the reps.
1: Right. I, I and we're going to kind of touch on tactics more. I think you touched on a couple great tactics that we've heard in the past, right? You know, sanitizing, uh, the report so that, you know, a sales rep doesn't feel like they're being personally attacked. Uh, but the other one as well is going through the sales rep to get that introduction. And I know a lot of win-loss providers often recommend that to increase the, um, the response rate of those interviews. Um, I'm curious then to kind of take this back to, um, you mentioned something there, Paul, around how it was a little bit more episodic. So I'm curious how that, how you thought about these kinds of maybe, um, uh, these ups and downs, if you will, in terms of getting that Intel in. And if you could also comment on something you mentioned earlier, Paul, which is the, you know, sales reps point of view. It was almost like we wanted to, you want to validate that if I'm hearing you correctly. And then maybe I'll, I'll come back to you, Tier, Cause it sounded like you, you, you both said something similar there, which is, you know, sales has a, a certain idea around, you know, why we're winning and losing. And it sounds like Paul don't want to put words in your mouth, but the win-loss program was there to really validate that and go a little bit deeper.
3: It's, and it's not that they weren't giving us the true answer, what we really went down in a particular sale or deal. It's just they have a very different perspective. In a lot of cases, they just don't see the same thing the customer has access to. For example, we'd get information about procurement and illegal activity, which the rep never had access to. We would right. get some perspective on the partner that the competitor was partnering with which our rep had no knowledge of at all. So there's certain data elements that are critical to diagnosing how you're competing effectively that you can only get through the customer. And I find sales leadership truly understands that. Sellers feel, I know why I won, I know why I lost, I can walk away and I, I can move on to the next deal. Sales leadership, though, if they have a dozen reps working for them, they need to find best practices. They need to figure out where their problem areas are in their team. And at a CRO level, it's across potentially hundreds, maybe thousands of reps. Um, In a small company, it could be six reps that are also doubling up as pre-sales people too. So it kind of depends on the organizational size in terms of how it works. I've also presented, and Terry, you may have done the same thing. It's fun to have the sales rep present their view alongside my presentation of the customer view on a given deal. Um, It tends to really engage the other reps because it kind of puts the seller on, on the spot. Um, and I usually let the seller go first and then they give customer perspective so they don't get kind of the inside scoop from the customer view.
1: Yeah,
2: Sarah, that. yeah. Um, so, you know, Paul, you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of that uh, sales reps perspective. And so uh, one of the things that we've done with, you know, we all, of course always have the sales reps, you know, look at the list, make sure they're cool with how we're calling or who we're calling. Um, And we've kind we have two extremes, either can you re-engage them in a deal or did they say, give you the big middle finger and say like, don't ever call us again. Like those are the people we don't contact. And so we want to know like, did you both have the same feelings at the end of the deal and is your reason whether won or lost the same as the pros- or as that prospect or customer um and I feel like my favorite win loss uh interviews or win interviews especially are the ones where the reason that we thought we won was actually different All
1: Right interesting yeah. so it sounds like to To kind of summarize there, Paul, you were mentioning, it's not necessarily that we're validating or that what the sales rep is saying is not true. It's just that it might be incomplete because the sales rep only sees a certain window into the deal. And then to your point, Tira, when we, let's say, do that full win-loss interview with the customer, um, those are the really exciting moments, those aha moments when maybe the sales rep thought we won because of XYZ, but the real reasons were something different. And it sounds like that could be, uh, those are the moments that you look for. Um, I'm curious then, and maybe to go take this full circle back to your compete program, like how did you find that kind of feeling your compete program, or maybe even just broadly speaking, um, how did you go from taking some of those insights, um, tactically to bring them into say your battle cards or your, uh, competitive collateral?
2: So I would say, you know, one of the things that we've really done for battle cards is we do it, we try to do as many quotes as possible. Um, Now, because this wasn't like a case study interview or, you know, anything like that, we never put the org name or anything like that. We'll just put a descriptor of the type of organization. So in our world, uh, we work all with member-based organizations. So we may put something like, you know, this was a professional or trade organization and approximately, you know, how many members they have. So you could gauge a size to where that quote might be uh, relevant to another organization. Um, But bringing in quotes about things that they loved um, has been, you know, our reps have really enjoyed having that in the battle cards. Um, I would say that's probably been their favorite thing that we've put into the battle cards. Um, And then of course, you know, the, the competitive that we learn about, right? Uh, competitors pricing or their messaging or, you know, whatever landmines they're saying against us, you know, uh, of course, we're putting all of that there too.
1: Awesome. So it sounds like the, yeah, there's the kind of broad intel that you just get by nature of, you know, speaking to buyers, but then it's those quotes. It sounds like like the almost reinforcements to your battle cards to say, Hey, we win, but because of X, Y, Z reason, here's a quote from a win interview to back that up. And it's that almost like you're providing that proof. Um, Paul, I'm curious if you've experienced anything similar in terms of your compete programs that you've, that you've. Yeah, I I love that. I love your,
3: your approach, but the quotes work so well, because what we'll do is, for example, if you're doing like a quarterly, kind of big presentation on the summary of all the wind loss for the quarter. If you kind of intro each section with quotes, particularly starting off with the positive, uh, you know, the reps walk on water, they're very responsive, they understood their products. You know, I, I I would love to go out for a beer with this rep, you know, we got that close. Um, then that sets it up correctly for then the deep dive insights that you provide that might not be so positive or might provide some context that maybe leadership and the sales reps didn't kind of understand. But uh, we use them in the presentations Um, in the battle card side. I don't know if we want to get to the battle card aspect of this quite yet, but I think the quotes in the battle cards are great. Um, It also provides you just with this kind of recurring, nice rolling quotes that you can pull in. There's, they're fresh, they're new. You attach the We usually don't attach the rep name to the quote on the deal, but we'll put the name of the company and the size of the deal so they can see the magnitude of this quote um, in terms of how important it is. And we try to keep them as positive as possible on the quote side. So negative about the competitors, positive about the sales approach and the deal closing. There's one interesting thing though that we're trying to do. I haven't cracked this one yet, which is the idea that You know, we're kind of looking at this through the lens of interactions with sales reps, providing us with contacts. But there's a lot and depends what company you're you're at in your product. There's a lot of deals where we're not even at the table where we should be at the table. And of course, they're probably not going to be on our CRM and the sales reps aren't going to see these deals. But essentially, it's a loss. We lost before we even got to the table. So we've interviewed a few customers who we weren't even at the table with just to get. Why weren't we invited? What were the competitors doing that got them to the table? Um, So it's kind of a a little bit of a tangent on the classic win-loss interview um, where we don't get any feedback about ourselves, but we get a lot about the competitors. And sometimes we get a little bit of an inkling as to the the perception of our brand and our product and why that led to us not being invited to the deal. So there's that that aspect too.
1: That's really cool. So it's almost like you're looking into the white space, right? Because there's there's the market share that we know of that we win and lose, and you can look at wins and losses. But then there's this other market share that maybe you just don't have access to. And I'm curious how do you how do you get how do you source those interviews or how do you uh, how do you go about that's
2: going to be my question.
1: <laughs> that's the,
3: that's the biggest that's the biggest challenge. So one way is at least in the industries I've worked in, um, our competitors are pretty. Um, transparent and vocal about their wins. Um, usually they wait six months until after the customers had a little bit of the product under underway to kind of be able to quote uh, their brand, show their brand on their website and such. But you can use, and I don't want to plug this service, you can use something like builtwith.com to essentially see where the installs are occurring. So, you know, you can use their services. Okay, where has my competitor been installed in the last week to two weeks globally? And you pick out the brands and then you unleash your if you're using a win-loss vendor to go source the leads, find out who the contact is and pursue it. Let's say I'm doing 20 interviews a quarter. I might do two of those um, because that's the difference between your TAM and and your pipeline, right? There's that white space that you're not seeing. And if it grows, it's growing for a reason. Usually marketing loves to have that because sales is not involved. Marketing wants to know, we sent material to these people. Why weren't they kind of coming to our webinar, coming to the deal. Yeah.
1: I love that. Maybe now's a good time to mention um, this CE Live is officially sponsored by builtwith.com. Uh, no, no, I'm, just, I'm just totally <laughs> um, um But that's really interesting though, that it's like you're kind of, and I think that's, it's almost like an extension of the purpose of win-loss in the first place, right? It's, it's you know, if you think of win-loss as trying to learn about why we're winning and losing business uh, beyond what we have kind of within our four walls, you're kind of taking that a step further to say, let's go beyond the market we even have access to. So I do love that. And I think it makes sense to maybe not do all 20 interviews or a large subset, but at least get a little bit of that insight there. Um, So to kind of bring this back, and I do want to jump into battle cards. um, And of course we can go wherever the the audience wants us to go, but I did want to touch on uh, one other piece here, which is the executive. Uh, So before we get into the kind of sales battle cards and maybe further into how, win-loss fuels compete, uh, one thing that we do hear very often is that win-loss insights are very valuable at the executive level. Uh, you also mentioned here earlier that, you know, getting that buy-in earlier, you know, we, for example, at Clue use Double Check, and they have a process called uh, the learning objectives at the beginning. I'm sure Closed and Iceberg have a similar process, but it, it's, it surveys the um, it surveys the executives at your organization to say, hey, what are you looking to get out of a win-loss program? And so I'm curious, uh maybe to hear from both of you, but I'll, I'll pass it off to Tira first, like in terms of getting not just access to executives, but like insights that are valuable to executives, how have you seen that uh, momentum building or um, any results from that so far?
2: So I, you know, our program's probably a little different because we are marketing and it is like marketing led. Um, and we did very much grassroots bottom up. Um, and so we've kind of like gone each layer one by one. So kind of getting the sales team on board and then getting sales leadership on board, um, and executives as well. And, um, you know, our executives love when, We are able to provide any insights um, and direct quotes, Um, and, you know, we also have most of ours are enterprise products, so, you know, we're getting insights about implementation and that process, and, you know, once a a customer goes live, they'll go live uh, process. Um, And then we're multi-product. And so then they may be, they'll do a win-loss interview for one product, but they're in the sales process for another, or um, they have another that they just talk about. Um, So we've been able to really spread the information far and wide. Um, And I think that's one of the things that our executives have really enjoyed is that, yes, it's helping sales and it's helping impact revenue, Um, But it's also making an impact of how do we market? uh, What channels are we investing in? Are those the right channels? We know because not only from, you know, all of our attribution and blah, 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 but we also have real interviews from won and lost deals as well. Um, And then also all the things for product, you know, is our roadmap correct? Uh, are, you know, are the right things on the roadmap uh, product, gets a ton of information um, from our win-loss interviews as well. Um, so really that, that far and wide and how it helps all, pretty much every single department, um, executives have thoroughly
1: enjoyed. Awesome. Uh, and I, I, I really like that. And it's, so it sounds like, and something you kind of mentioned at the beginning there, Tira, I think I heard you correctly. It's like, it's also helpful for like customer success and ultimately, you know, that onboarding experience or time to value, which I think is really critical as well. It's not just about new business, um, and maximizing, you know, rev, you know, new business revenue and win, win rates. It's how do we get better customer outcomes? And then on the flip side of that, how do we reach more customers, uh, kind of similar to, to. Uh, to Paul's uh, point, maybe I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Paul, in terms of if you have thoughts around the executive uh, executive stakeholders, and then I'll, I'll kind of open it up to uh, to some of the audience questions.
3: Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the feedback from the win loss interviews goes directly to how they're structuring their go to market for the sales organization. So a lot of sales organizations have a model that they use for basically addressing the the customer engagement. And in some ways, this is a test of that model. Is it working correctly? Um, And so it it helps them just kind of overall orient how they're structuring the sales process itself. Given the feedback from the customers. Um, The other piece I think is really important is a a view because I've worked for a lot of companies where there's a partner engagement piece to the sales activity and the diagnosing which partners are working, are they coming in at the right time? Are they bringing in the deal? If they are, how does it kind of unfold if they're the lead in a particular deal? And the other piece, which is super enlightening for CI, I think it really, and sometimes I get tipped off by executives saying, you know, we're seeing this vendor in deals more often. We've never seen them before. Are they on your radar? And maybe we'll have a battle card, maybe we won't. But what we'll do is we'll steer a couple interviews to deals where we lost to a smaller vendor. And we'll find out that they figured out a kink in our armor. They figured out a way in, a weakness we never saw before. And they're small and they're only in maybe Five percent of the deals, if if not less than that, but enables us to diagnose them early, address it fast, keep them small and in a corner, and then basically broadcast that out to the rest of the reps um, through the battle cards uh, to address that. I love
1: that. And sorry, go
3: ahead, Paul. You need to cut. No, I would just say that I found over time that, that, and I think this is worth you know competitive enablement and win-loss really kind of work well together is the win-loss becomes a real anchor program for a CI team because it's it's solid data addresses so many stakeholders and you can get very systematic and structured about your approach. It has a lot of painful administrative elements to it that you can kind of work through. <laughs> there, we're agreeing on that. But once you work through those and you kind of just accept that they're part of the process, um, you, you really get engagement particularly with leadership going forward. They come back to you over and over again for those insights.
1: Yeah. And I don't don't know if I had shared this um, on one of our prior CE lives, but we just just did our executive summary with our Clue executive team from our our first cohort of win-loss interviews. And we booked an hour, and it ended up being a two-hour discussion. And it was such a great just conversation. We were you know, brainstorming ideas. And um, this is all facilitated by our win-loss provider as well. But I think just goes to show, like, executives are hungry for these insights. I also just want to comment, Paul, I love your idea of like, hey, if there's a new up-and-coming competitor that could be a potential threat, you know, maybe you don't do this for every up-and-comer, but if there seems to be a trend um, you know, I, I, know people don't love the like kind of wartime analogies when it comes to battle cards and compete, but I almost think of it as like, you have a bit of a mercenary, uh, or outsourced group to say, Hey, let's take, take a look at this and investigate it for us and come back because, you know, we, as compete practitioners, we have our like main set of competitors. We want to, you know, keep at bay. And so you can kind of, you know, uh, outsource that almost to, to through a win loss cohort, um, almost. Um, All right. So I do want to jump into the audience questions because it looks like there's been a lot of questions. There's also a lot of conversation, which I love to see. Um, So just to kind of of quickly recap. So Chuck uh, Kramer asked a question, any suggestions on how to positively motivate sales reps to put win-loss data into Salesforce? or another CRM. We have mandatory fields for competitors, but getting valuable data can be a challenge. And it looks like a lot of people, uh, Allison Mullenhoff, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Megan Burns, a bunch of people plus ones of that. And I think it's a common thing we hear. Um, Tira Paul, I'm curious your thoughts on this kind of the win-loss data from CRM and, and kind of improving the quality of that.
3: I'll, I'll jump in first, I guess. Um, it's I've seen it everywhere. And I've, I've worked at Three CRM companies in my day, and the CRM companies themselves have the same problem with CRM hygiene overall, particularly on the competitive side. My success, best, the best success I've had, because it hasn't been a success, it's the best success I've had, is having sales leadership, particularly at the manager level over reps, really drive home the importance of this data And if they can see the data somehow in reports and dashboards and feedback, then they can somehow internalize the importance of the data in a way um, rather than just, wow, this is for leadership. It doesn't really affect me. I'm not going to course correct myself on feedback from this. But if they get the win loss individual reports back on deals, um, then they you know, the only reason I can find this deal is if you guys fill out the form correctly on the CRM, please. Please complete that. Um, the other part is, if you can do this, it's. I think it's a little easier in Salesforce than it is in HubSpot or some of the other CRMs. But if you can have like a data hygiene report that the managers can use to essentially police their reps, then that can help out a lot. You know, you can rank the reps by who completes the compete field, and you know, beat up the guys at the bottom of the, left of the list, and you know, praise the ones at the top, and try to create a threshold through the middle that you need to go above this line that'd be my recommendation.
1: I love that. Yeah,
2: That's always like the question that comes up in any conversation about win-loss is like, oh, we need help with this. Um, You know, I would say it's something that we by no means have cracked at all. Um, But one of the things that I've tried to implement is like, oh, well, we, I, we're coming up against this, competitor all the time, and I need, you know, material on it. Well, according to the data, you're not. Hmm. And, you know, how I can't prioritize this if the data is not there. Um, So that's worked semi well, as along with sales leadership, needing to like really lead that charge. Um, But kind of flipping it back on, you know, reps and being like, well, you know, There's only one deal, like they're not that big, obviously. Um, And sometimes they will go correct some of the others.
1: Right. That's a great tip. Yeah, potentially could incentivize them to go and retroactively correct some of their (laughs) deals to fix the data. And I love your point, Paul, like almost creating a leaderboard or, you know, uh, you know, as a former sales rep, I think I could say, you know, sales reps love recognition. And, you know, the the flip side, they don't want to look bad in front of their colleagues. So having that data hygiene chart is a cool one. Uh, I want to call on if um, either Mara or Tracy wanted to hop on, because you both had some great comments as well around this discussion. Uh, curious if either of you want to uh, to hop up on stage here. If anyone wants to... Watch unmute, me no, we-
4: the face of petrifiedness. Hey. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, I was just referencing that actually a previous CE call that I was on, and I was having this The same issue that Chuck was having around the unknown, none field. Um, I started my compete program in March of 2022. And for six months prior, I had over 2,000 opportunities that said none or unknown in the competitor field. And I was like, I'm going to die. (laughs) I'm never going to be able to fix this. Um, We launched Clue. And in June of 2022, we uh, changed the field. We actually removed none, unknown, I don't know. We removed it completely and added a field based on someone's uh, recommendation from a CE call um, for I didn't ask. Um, And that has completely changed the data. It totally has flipped it on its head. Um, There was a little bit of shame train happening to, to your point about leaderboards. There's also that same kind of like, I really don't want to be the seller that Mark's I did not ask. Um, and it has given us an opportunity to have some good calls with our sellers, even our BDRs and SDRs that are on that front line that they don't feel that they should be asking those questions and really trying to empower them from a training perspective that you are the front line. I need you to ask in case it doesn't get to an AE type of thing. Um, so yeah, we've seen a lot of success with that. So
2: awesome! I love that you awesome. brought that up because um, I totally forgot that we have that in the queue. Um, so we are changing it. We are removing none as well and, change, and adding I didn't ask. Um, and it's like in the queue to like be changed in Salesforce. So it's not there yet, but um, I totally forgot that we did that.
1: That's awesome. I, I hope I'm not uh, miscrediting this, but I feel like that was Zavo on one of the prior C lives. It might've been, been Zavin. Uh, but yeah, I remember that one. That was that's a great tip, just to kind of change the framing of it. I, I love that, Mara. Thanks so much. Um, and um, and it, I hope you don't mind. I put you on the spot, Tracy. But you had a great comment in there, kind of similar to, to Tira's. But I'm curious if you wanted to hop up on uh, on stage and and share your take there as well. If not, no worries. Uh, I'll I'll kind of read out. It was, it was, I, I, if I'm understanding uh, correctly, Chasey, it's kind of like the that help me help you kind of approach, right? Constantly enabling sellers so that they know, hey, this data is actually going to help us prioritize those competitors. To Tier's point, right? If we don't see it in the data, we can't help you, and and this is going to be helpful. Or Paul, you kind of touched on this as well around like that that win win report or that loss report. Once it becomes real for the sales rep, then they know, ah, this is this is what we get out of these things, you know, this, that's why I need to put this stuff into CRM. So I think yeah, it's, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested um,
3: in the group. And Tara, if you had any experience with it. so we were thinking of actually publishing our queue of, of customers that we're going after. So, you know, out of, let's say the 60 that we've have lined up, of course, we're only going to probably get to 15 cooperative customers who are willing to talk to us, but that transparency And basically listing the rep next to the name of the customer and the brand or the company that we're reaching out to might give them all like a view into and some ownership over the list, the queue um, that we're going after. Part of it might be, I don't want everybody to see who we're going after because they're going to start gaming the system a little bit and trying to either promote theirs or say, you know what, I'm still working the deal. Don't talk to them. Um, which is probably half of the reason why we don't reach out to customers is they're still an active customer, quote unquote, active,
1: um, for the rep, particularly if it's a loss. Right. I I like that. And yeah, it's always kind of a, a a bit of a debate. It's like, how much do we share? Cause to your point, you know, sales reps are clever. They'll figure out ways to get their deals in there or not. Right. And so that's a, that's a good one. Another, um, so there's another good question in here, um, just around kind of, I guess the tactics around, um, uh, win loss uh, from Megan. So, in the case that a deal is won, at what point do you try to engage the customer for a win interview? We have concerns about overwhelming customers or asking for too much of their time as they're going through our onboarding process. And I think this is a. There's probably an equal question on the loss side as well, but I'm curious around wins. Um, what your, your what your thoughts are on that?
2: So, I would say we. We're kind of a unique situation, and we do win loss a little different um, because we do have um, thirteen different products, um, and we don't have a budget that enables thirteen products continuous interviews. Um, so we kind of bucket them throughout the year. Um, so that's a a little different, but we would we only look within six months. So either they've had to be won or lost within six months. And uh, we really try to keep that like three to four month, um, but six at the most. Um, and then we, if they are a one customer, uh, we're perfectly fine, like having them in implementation Uh, Because we learn so much about how the process is going then, you know, that maybe they don't want to tell their implementation manager or um, that they just, you know, they haven't thought of some things uh, that they, you know, of how it's going or, you know, things that they would change. Um, So we're perfectly fine doing it while they're onboarding. Um, and we have a pretty intense onboarding process for most of our products as well. Um, but definitely, we don't do any any later than six months.
3: We're we're a little bit of the opposite. Um, so we would definitely try to catch them before any onboarding or deployment um, kicked off. Uh, we really are trying to evaluate the the sales process and how they got into the pipeline to begin with. Um, and it's part of that is just because we have another research group that's, you know, voice a the customer then the customer sat group that will jump in and do deployment and onboarding evaluation. So they'll catch all that Intel later. So we're kind of at that just post deal. So it's usually within two weeks. Now we do, I've always not always, but typically defer to the rep on that exact window. Like don't talk to them because not all the papers signed yet or don't talk to them because the partner doesn't know we won the deal yet. Um, so there's some logistics that kind of need to transpire. We take the reps lead on the exact date, and they usually do the final introduction to the contact, and that usually cements the time frame right there.
1: Gotcha. And and maybe kind of on the this topic of tactics, there's another quick question here, Mara. I know I just asked you to pull it, so I'll, I'll just read it up. Um, what would our speaker say is a normal amount of interviews per quarter? Um, she thought you. She heard you say Paul twenty. And how long is each interview uh, approximately? I can I can share at Clue. Um, we do ten per quarter. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know if that was um, necessarily like based on a whole bunch of hard science, but um, yeah, curious, Paul Tira, what your your thoughts are.
3: Twenty is a lot. Um, I I had the luxury of moving up to twenty, but actually hitting twenty interviews at a company that may close 300 to 500 deals a quarter. That's a hard number to hit. Um, usually 10 to 15 is probably a good number for an enterprise software company. If you do a lot of volume though, you're not gonna have any problem you know, finding 100 customers to talk to you on the phone. It's just you know, the, the cost of talking to a customer for an hour and a half and coordinating that interview gets kind of expensive. So I think 10 to 15 is a sweet spot that
1: I typically would kind of shoot for.
2: We're 10 to.
1: So it sounds like 10, 15 is stretching it. 20 would be like amazing. Uh, Awesome. Um, Can I I
4: ask really fast what the second half of that of just like how long are those interviews? Paul, you just said an hour and a half. Is it 30 minutes at Clue, 20 minutes? Like how long do you hold these people hostage? Just a terrible Um, analogy.
3: I would say probably 45 minutes is probably where the average falls for us in terms of both introduction, closing, and the questions getting answered. We've had people, we've had multiple people on calls um, on some win-loss. So we had kind of somebody on the procurement legal acquisition side of the deal, and then somebody more on the business side and technical people. So those ones can go an hour and a half or there are two separate interviews that are 45 minutes each. It's At HubSpot, they're super short because the deal size is really small at Sitecore and Salesforce, you know, a million, $2 million deal. You want to be on the phone, maybe multiple people, that kind of deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How about you, Tara? Ours
2: are about 30 minutes.
1: Yeah. Likewise here. I'm just, uh, I actually don't do the interviews myself, but I'm just checking out the interviews that double check sent us. They're all around 25 to 30 minutes. Um, Same here. So, um,
2: we, yeah. uh, I- We attempted a DYI internal program um, and we did not have the skill set to do win-loss interviews. Um, So that was something that we quickly learned. Um, And so we definitely, definitely enjoy uh, having a third party do them for us.
1: That's, that's a great point. And maybe just as a side tangent, like I know that's, that's something we've been hearing a lot more and more lately. And I think that's one of the reasons we partnered with, with double check. And I'm sure is has, has great interviews as well. But, you know, having experienced research directors that like have done this before they they're, they're well studied in this kind of craft, you know. I've done a couple ad hoc myself, and they end up kind of going all over the place because, you know, you know me, I'm, I can just talk about anything for an hour. Whereas, you know, they're very structured. I'll be honest. Just now, when I checked Mara that they're 30 minutes, I was surprised. I'm like, I can't believe Robin is able to get all those deep insights in 30 minutes. Like that's right. that's really uh, that's really powerful stuff. Um, awesome. I, I found yeah, sorry, that,
2: you know. Like you, you do a case study interview or something like that, right? People like you and they're like happy to tell you, they want to talk to you. They And it's real easy if you know your product really well and you're that product expert to have a really easy conversation. But if someone didn't have a great sales experience, like I found that like mama bear really wanted to come out. Like. talking about my people like that right like uh so it was really hard to kind of be objective um and also i'm a pretty kind of short and direct person so it's it was hard for me to like draw things out of people to know like you know it's like when you ask your kid how was your day at school good Like, you got to have, like, those skills to, like, draw it out of people. Um, And and we just didn't have those skills internally. Um, You know, I know other folks have done some investments of having people come in and do training so that their teams could internally do it. Um, And that could be an option for us in the future. Um, But right now, we're just, you know, sticking with that third party. (laughs)
3: and and there's there's and there 's a lot of research uh, out there to show that the, there's a lot of bias in the responses if they know who the interviewer is and a lot of it comes from the political side where if I know this this these questions are being asked by a particular candidate, I tend to answer a certain way depending upon my my view on that candidate and my relationship with the other candidate versus giving a truly unbiased view of their claims or their positioning or the statements they're planning to make against the other candidate um yeah and I Terry you, you're exactly right if it's a loss it's you you want to, you just natural tendency is to defend your position defend your position uh your product totally. particularly your reps if they kind of come down on your reps uh you just remove that from the equation when you use a third party there is something attractive though of getting closer to the customer as a CI group of doing the interviews but i think it it's There's a lot of gotchas
1: in in that. Yeah, it's a tightrope for sure. And and as a former seller, I definitely have, I did a couple and there was a bit of me, who was like, oh, but that's not true. And like, and I wanted to just, you know, try to change their mind and you can't do that in these kinds of interviews. So uh, plus one to everything you said there. Um, I, I don't know if anyone here on the call is from Double Check or Closed or Primary Intel, but you know this is this is a great lead generation uh, session for y'all. I feel like we're really uh, really evangelizing win loss. Um, Dustin, I saw you had a, a question there. Uh, would you be comfortable jumping up on stage and, uh, and asking?
5: Yeah, yeah. You you may have just answered it. Um, you both had mentioned that you do. Uh, you started out doing it internally. And then you brought on a third party. You may have just answered that, but I was curious: do you uh, do you rely on the third party now to do all of your win loss, or do you still do some of it in house? And if so, what what how have you made that uh, delineation of what do you do internally versus externally?
3: Um, I I do all ours, and we do all ours externally now. And uh, we do do all the internal sales rep interviews internally. So um, we do a lot of outbounds to the sales reps with a standard questionnaire about the deal, one loss. So we kind of tack that on to the customer interview, but the customer interview is done by the external party.
5: Okay. So you divide it by internally, you will debrief a sales rep and externally you use a third party.
3: And we've also, and Tara, I don't know if you have a partner part of your organization. So we we sometimes um steer our interviews to partners versus the customer. So if you're sometimes yeah. the partner is the the proxy for the customer and we get some interesting insights. So just FYI sometimes and that's all still done through an external
5: third party to the to the partner okay. organization. Well, that makes sense. We got that's that's the boat we're in. So that that's interesting. All right.
2: I was gonna answer 100% third party, but that's false. Um, So almost all of ours are external. Um, But what's interesting, Paul, is our partners uh, won't speak to the third party uh, typically. Um, So we do, if they will open up to us, um, then we do those internally. Um, And then occasionally we'll have maybe just like a one-off where a um, where someone's willing to provide feedback via email, not a phone call, yeah. um, but then that is email communication that we take over and we ask the questions. Um, so not as great information, but it's the sales rep still invites us in, which is great and shows momentum and buy-in. Um, and then we get a tiny bit of information.
5: Okay. So, yeah. Yeah that's interesting so looking at that um, are when you're using a third party uh, you know do you are they blinded or are they or do they say who they're representing oh, mine
3: say mine say who they're representing
5: yeah.
3: um, I have had one company I worked for where they didn't we did it blind I don't think it made a huge difference because They've all been; they've mostly been enterprise software deals. So they know that this person's representing, <laughs> particularly because of the questions we're asking. This was the loser in the deal. So it's one of three vendors. Um, so we felt just being upfront. We also found engagements a lot higher if they know who the ultimate yeah. vendor is. I know it probably biases the answer a little bit, but we felt that was a decent trade-off to get our response rates higher because you know, they, they would call five people before they'd get one on the call. Uh, so that was costing us money. And it was costing right. the vendor time. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, I took a, I, I took it in the teeth, a good hit to the teeth, using an external one and convinced us to do blinded and couldn't get the numbers we needed. I just, so I guess following up on that is what do you recommend? And like I said, if there's other vendors on there, I'd love to hear what do you, what, what are the recommendations you would say in working with a third party? What are the best practices of working with them? to do that, to do
1: it. I can maybe jump in and this might segue to Brandon and Phil, uh, question. Great name, Brandon. Um, is that with double check, they recommended according to their data, we, I guess we kind of just trusted them that having the sales rep or whoever has the relationship do a warm introduction and they provide an email template and everything, a warm introduction to the, um, the research director at double check. And then the double check person will kind of continue chasing them down and it might take six or seven <laughs> outreaches, but that warm intro, um, from our results seem to have really increased our, um, our response rate. Um, uh, so I think they, they did provide other options. They said, we can make it more automated. So your reps don't have to do that. But, um, I think that would also explain why we don't do it blinded because it's obviously our rep saying, Hey, like, we'd love for you to chat with double check. They're going to reach out, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we do curious, Paul, Tira, if you do something similar. Uh, go ahead, Tira.
2: Uh, we, do, uh, we do a combo of kind of automated and AE uh, intro. Um, so we, uh, we do automated first um, because just due to resources and, you know, in all reality. Um, so we start there and if we don't get a good response, then we do the AE um, intro. Um, and just say like, hey, you've already been you know, reached out by you know, so-and-so who's our provider. We'd really love if you would chat with them. Um, and it usually gets us to the numbers that we need to be at.
3: Yeah, we, we've typically always gone through the AEs, the sellers or the BDRs in some cases to reach out to the contacts. And if you do the program long enough and you repeat it enough, what happens is you, you you establish a relationship between the reps and the admin people coordinating the calls. And you almost can pull in an ideal. Say I can almost pull myself out of the situation. And it's just this fluid interaction between the rep, the person coordinating the call, and the customer. And that's kind of ideal, because then I have my admin person, whether it's double check or closed or another third-party vendor, they kind of know how to work with the reps to get the right deals. And when the rep says, you know, it's is not a good deal, I don't have to get in there and mitigate the the contact. Usually the admin will handle it on the double check or closed or one of the other vendor sides for me. Um, and I have to police it a little bit, but for the most part, it kind of moves forward there.
1: Yeah. Awesome. I, Thanks, I just one, one
3: last thing on that. I think it also sets the tone for the interview if the rep is doing the introduction, because then they feel they're truly trying to evaluate the deal, the company, the brand, the product, um, versus if it's coming from an unknown third party, they just typically treat it as another survey that's being done in the market. Yeah, it's being sponsored by this particular vendor, but it's unrelated to my deal. But if they know I invested this time in the deal, I had people there, we did a demo, it was six months long. These guys are taking the time to talk to me for 45 minutes. I'll set aside the time to talk for 45 minutes.
1: Awesome. Sweet. Thanks. I know we have uh, five minutes left here and there's still so many great questions here. Sorry to, to move us along. Um, I saw Nico, I know it's late for you, but if you're, I saw you had a couple questions in there, if you wanted to jump up and ask them, or if you want me to read them out. Hi, thank you. Yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask just one of them because the previous one has already been answered. First of all, hi to all of you. And, um, second of all, How did you make the move to the third party? So how did you make the move from internally led um, interviews to externally led interviews? And how did you get the budget for this? How did you sell it internally to get the budget for this?
2: Great question. (laughs) So for us, one of the things that we did was we looked at, um, if we could increase the win rate by one percent on our most popular product our highest win rate if we increased it by one percent what would that outcome be and so we started win loss with our highest win rate product and so once we put that into you know we did the math and put it in numbers of if we could increase by one percent you know, this is what that would look like. And here's the investment of what that looks like. And so we started with a test with just one product, uh, just 10 interviews. And then we kind of like hyped it up. And we talked about it in every single meeting, we talked about it cross products. Um, We literally just People were probably like, "Shut up, Tira! Like, we're tired of hearing about win loss." But because of that, then other people got excited, and then other products were like, "Oh wait, I want to do this. I want to see the results that I get." So then we kind of tested out a few more products, and then we made it a regular budgeted item that you know we're going into you know our third year with. Um, but I. I would say, what worked really well was going for the highest, not necessarily the one that was in trouble.
1: Love that. I'll just share that we do something very similar for our own business cases and uh, uh, for a compete program. We see that's very, uh, very successful. It's looking at a very small incremental increase in win rate and what could that produce. And then exactly like you said, Terry, even starting small, you're going to start having other people say, "Hey, I, you know, I want you know better battle cards or I want a win loss program." So I love that. Uh, Paul, any any uh, thoughts you'd on that?
3: Uh, just double down on what Tara was saying. It's it's if you can come up with the loss revenue gap number, um, that is a pretty big metric to kind of push out there. The other thing is don't don't confuse sponsor from champion, executive sponsor from executive champion. So sometimes the CRO or organization doesn't have the budget because they're channeling it all into just staff bonuses and incentives for their organization. They don't have program dollars. Program dollars come out of marketing or some other part of the organization. But having a champion out of the executive, out of the the revenue team organization, out of sales, push the program forward, that's a bigger voice than mine as a CI person can push. And then marketing will cave in because marketing will do whatever sales wants. So they they go, we need a win-loss program. You guys need to budget it. (laughs) (laughs) Going, no, we no. Were like, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it helps a lot for if I had, I had two CROs that basically said, we have to have a win loss program. It's gotta be there. We can't go blind into deals anymore enter the quarter without understanding why we win or we lose marketing kind of ponied up the dollars to pay for both programs. Um, they benefit from it. It's just CRM CRO feels the pain because it's in a pipeline and it's closed deals. Um, so that's, So the two metrics plus the sales leadership buy-in.
1: Yeah, little uh, secret sauce tip as well I'll add because I think this is something we do at Clue with our clients, but I think could easily apply to a win-loss program is exactly what you said, Paul. Marketing typically is the one to get that budget initially to say, hey, let's do this. But if you can show that impact to sales, we have many clients that then split the budget with sales or even have the majority of the budget then hit sales in year two, because now you have that real impact of the 1% or sometimes, oftentimes more increase to say, hey, like you're benefiting from this. Can we, you know, can we go half and half on, uh, on this, uh, this budget here?
3: One other place to get budget from not to overlook. So you can steer your win loss program to look at churned customers who are going to a competitor and churn typically is owned by the customer service side of the organization. So sometimes They'll say, Oh, if you can give me visibility into that, I'm willing to pony up and be part of the budget um, for a win loss program. So I haven't successfully rolled that out, but we have done churn interviews and they've been in the
1: audience. Awesome. Well we're already. Yeah, at market, time. I, I would answer. say marketing gotcha. is
2: your is your key to the budget.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I, sh- I should c- clarify what I said earlier. I think marketing is the is the first place to start, but I did want to say there's some other creative areas you could you could look as well. Um, everyone, I'm so uh, so excited about this conversation. I- we have to end it uh, so so quickly because we. I see that there's a whole bunch of other questions in there. Um, Adam threw an idea in the chat that we'll do like a mailbag episode. Don't want to volunteer you you both for a Volunteer, but like I'd be happy to uh, to, to jump on that because it looks like there's a tons of questions. I, I I've been noticing anecdotally that this has been a you know hot topic um, across our customer base. Just everyone's really excited about win loss and how these two things play together. So. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to stick around for a little bit, but I know a lot of people have to jump off. So appreciate, uh, appreciate everyone's time. Thank you. Thanks everyone.